All right. Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. I have with me uh, this week Tom Garrison from Intel. So welcome, Tom. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, my pleasure. Um, so let's start with um, just you know what is your what is your role at Intel and uh, and, and and kind of your background uh, just for those who uh, aren't familiar with you. Uh, so my name's uh, again Tom Garrison, and I'm Vice President and General Manager of the Client Security Strategy and Initiatives Organization. Um, and in that role, I'm I really several different responsibilities. One is um, working with our own internal researchers and external and external researchers in finding and addressing security security vulnerabilities in our products. And so that's uh, one aspect of the role. The other area is working with our uh, architects in terms of advancing the security capabilities of our platforms. Um, and we do that you know, for, with, in some cases, installed-based products that have been out for many years. And in other cases, uh, these are new capabilities that will be coming to market over the coming years as well, all with a security and assurance um, value proposition to them. Okay. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I think is, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I was going to say interesting, but that's not really the word I, I, I meant. But one of the things that I appreciate about the the level of, uh, investment that Intel has in security is that Intel plays such a you know foundational role in the technology that you know that I rely on that, and that a lot of the world relies on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it you know you can't control all of the applications that you know run on top of it. You can't you know prevent all software application vulnerabilities, but Intel does play a very you know fundamental role in that. You know, there are some things you can do uh, as the, you know, the, the engineers and creators of the processor uh, to, to try and, you know, at least, at least make it more difficult. And that's, um, I think, you know, part of, part of what you know, I, I want to talk with you about is, um, you know, this, this initiative with uh, Intel uh, CET, which is uh, Control Flow Enforcement Technology. Um, I, I think it sounds very cool. So I wanted you to, uh, you know, Go into some more detail and share with us, like what is what is Intel CET and how does that help us? Yeah, so um, you know, to, to begin with, first of all, it's good that you acknowledge the sort of position that the Intel hardware plays within the entire industry. And and just for a moment, I think it's important to understand the broad reach. When you talk about Intel, think people tend to think about CPUs as they should. It's our main business, but we're also in networking and storage and servers and you know lots of different um, businesses and industries. And so when when Intel deploys a, a new capability and, and whatnot, the the reach is beyond just PCs. You know, it it, it touches data centers, it touches IoT devices, and it is by definition worldwide. So the scale that we operate is second to none. Um, the other element I think it's important for everybody to realize is um, that the, the role that hardware in general plays. Um, and, and you can think about it in a security context. I, the analogy I like to use is the foundation of a building. 
And, and, you know, over time, what we have seen is from a security standpoint, it's kind of a cat and mouse game where, where a, a set of attackers will find a particular vulnerability or class of vulnerabilities. They'll exploit that. And then um, the, the industry in, uh, will address whatever that vulnerability is. And then it becomes a search for what's the next easiest way to attack the platform. And if you can think about that in, a, in the sense, you know, exactly years ago, that the attack would start typically at a, um, uh, let's say, at an application level where the application was somehow compromised. And then applications became a bit better. Um, we got signature-based kinds of protections that were in place. Uh, and then people started attacking the operating system. And if you remember years ago, the operating systems, uh, Microsoft in particular, went pens down. And, and they started just focusing on security. And to their credit, they've done a good job over the years. And so attackers did what attackers do, which is they went below the OS and they tried to find attacks. If the OS itself is safe, or relatively safe, then can we find exploits below that? And so that was uh, virtualization, you know, trying to get below the OS, and, and the industry has been dealing with that. And then, and then below that is um, firmware and hardware, and that's the that's the area that Intel plays in. And the reason I say that that this is important is because at the hardware and the firmware level, if you think about it in a building analogy. We are the foundation by which the rest of the security stack gets built on top of us. And the other good part of that analogy is that we can be viewed as sort of bedrock. There's nothing below the hardware. And, and so our role as Intel is to find these ways of delivering security capabilities that, um, that then the developers, whether they be application developers or OS uh, providers, they can take advantage of these capabilities that we deliver and build a secure by design kind of uh, uh, product offering. So that's uh, that's how we view ourselves. And, and in that context, you asked about CET. Mm -hmm. The uh, so CET was developed because we had a pro we as an industry had a problem around class a class of attack called either ROP attacks or um, JOP attacks. And those are acronyms. ROP is return-oriented programming um, or JOP uh, or COP, which is jump-oriented programming or call-oriented programming. And they're all basically the same kind of attack. The idea is, is that code does not operate sequentially. It doesn't, it, it isn't like you, you, you run you know, a line of code followed by the next, followed the next. The reality is, and it knows about code execution, is that you jump around within code and you're called to different functions and they, they, that function will do whatever the code, you know, is written to do and it will return back from that function back to where it was operating before and you continue happily along your way. And what attackers did was they said, well, hey, if we can manipulate the way that we jump around in code, then we could effectively use good code that, that is not malicious in any way, shape, or form, but we could reorient that code and do malicious acts. And so return-oriented programming just says that they're attacking the return 
to the point where the um, the the you're not returning back to the same address that you jumped from. And then jump-oriented programming is that you're jumping to a new area of code that wasn't intended to be jumped to and so forth. So set is designed to address that um, that class of attack. And up until the time that CET came out, in, until CET came out, there was no way to detect these attacks because they were using good code. There was no signature that you could key off of to find that, hey, something crazy is going on. Right. Um, so that's that's a bit of a background of what it is that SET does and, and a little bit about how it works. Okay. Well, and, and to go, so to go back to the beginning too, I, th I think, you know, it, Intel is in a unique position to, uh, to try to help address uh, this problem, uh, you know, because there's there's only so much that you can do from the application development perspective, and you know, and like you like you said, you know, you, uh, you know, attackers went after the applications, you know, as those improved, you know, you go after the operating system, and you you keep trying to get you know down down down, um, and and ultimately, it's you know, it is the the processor, uh, whether it's the you know, CPU, GPU, whatever, it's it's at the the, the chip level um, that these commands are being you know processed and executed and so you know you, you are in a position to you know try to do something to kind of recognize and address uh, you know the attacker's ability to make these things happen you're right you, you got it right and I think that's a that from our standpoint the um, the way we view this is is one of scale, which is you know if we can provide a capability that is that is by design secure and safe, then um, the the people that use our hardware up above, whether that be again at the OS level or at the application level or maybe even the service level, um, if they if they have confidence, then they can build their solution taking advantage of those capabilities and by very nature do away with entire classes of attack at a time. Um, and that's obviously what we're aiming to do. And that's what, that's what, why we're excited about Intel CET. Right. I mean, um, yeah, so I, I, I uh, wrote uh, back at the, uh, towards the beginning of June or middle of June about uh, the, the news about Intel CET and uh, one of the things that I had uh, noted in my article was the uh, the, the, the statistic from uh, Zero Day Initiative at Trend Micro uh, that said that 63.2% of the vulnerabilities disclosed by ZDI since the beginning of 2019 had been memory safety related and would ostensibly kind of fall under you know the realm of what CET can help fight against. That's correct. That's correct. And, and the, the, the reality is, again, sort of the very nature of the, this class of attack is they, the, the attacker manipulates these memory addresses. And so that instead of returning back or jumping to a location that, that the person who wrote the code originally intended, they change it around and, um, and now that the code is operating in ways it was never intended to. And so these this manipulation of the memory is 
is the area that uh, is that you referenced uh, in your piece, um, and and you know this is a pervasive attack. This is the ROP and and uh, um, you know just these different jump oriented type programming uh, right. attacks is is very prevalent. Uh, so we're we're excited about this in terms of the scale. Of which this can take away a, 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 a big chunk of the classes of attack that are out there. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not. Uh, I've, I've I've dabbled here and there, but I am I am not a developer. But I've you know worked in in and around security for you know, nearly two decades, uh, so I'm very very familiar with how malware works, um, and I'm I've been constantly. Uh, I, I want to say impressed, but it's sort of impressed slash uh, frustrated uh, with kind of the the, the level of uh, creativity and ingenuity exhibited by some attackers. You know, because like you know, I mean, I was working in the trenches during the like Code Red, Nimda, SQL Slammer days, and as as annoying as it was to be on the security side, trying to fight against those threats. And, you know, for SQL Slammer, I, you know, ended up working like 46 hours straight over the weekend, you know, trying to, you know, get it under control and and prevent any further spread and everything else. But when I would step back and look at it, I would say, you know, it really was a brilliant, brilliantly engineered piece of malware. And I, and I, and I had to kind of be in awe at the level of ingenuity that went into the, it went into developing it and just kind of go, you know, if these people would just use these, uh, their, their, their creativity and their skills for good, we could accomplish some amazing things. <laughs> yeah, no, there is definitely an element of that. And, and it's good that you recognize the fact that there are some incredible, incredible, uh, um, ingenuity that is, that is brought to bear when you think about security, because, um, I mean, there's diff- different ways to think about this. There's the, the, the hackers, the sort of black hat guys. Um, they're doing it for monetary reasons, and mostly. Uh, it used to be just for you know, creating a name for themselves, but for the most part, now they're economically motivated, and there's big money to be made um, you know, in, this, in this field. And then there are the, the white hat type uh, um, hackers the, the ethical hackers, as we call them now, and that's the, the common term now, ethical hackers, they are, um, you know, they're, they're working with us to make the platform better. And, the, the, and you know, to your point, the, the level of creativity to say, hey, if I do X or Y or Z, then I can get the machine to, to do something and then follow that up with something else that's a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary. And you sort of string these things together and you realize, oh, wow, there, nobody ever thought of that before. And, right. you know, and, and all well, of a sudden. It's kind, of, kind of dating myself, but, but you know, but yeah, it's like, I think in the, in the early days of the, of the you know, PC revolution and, and internet revolution, whatever, in the, in the early days, I think, you know, you just made a program and you made the program and, 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 and security was not on the radar. There's not a thing you thought of. And so if you made a program that said, Hey, I need you to give me, you know, your name, your address and your, your date of birth, 
and, and you, you, it didn't, it wouldn't occur to you that someone would then go and, you know, say, Hey, what happens if I, you know, put some ASCII code in here? You know, what happens if I do this? What I, you know, I was like, no, I just asked you for your name, right. <laughs> your address exactly. and your date of birth. You know, like, just, just give me the information I asked for. But, um, you know, but, but, you know, to your, to your point about having, you know, kind of the good guys and the bad guys, um, you know, obviously the, you know, the bad guys are out there like actively looking for, well, how can I break this? But from the, from the good guy side, or even from the side of people just trying to use it, who are not necessarily good or bad guys, they're just trying to use it. Um, it, it it's fascinating the number of ways, the number of unintended ways that something can be used or broken that you don't think of when you're creating it. Right. That's correct. But, the, that, but that's the, I think that that's the area where the industry is becoming much more mature and, and that, um, you know, you, you need to take advantage of at least the best known methods. Um, if not yourself actively trying to expand what those best known methods are within your own resources. And that's what Intel is doing. So we have hundreds of, of, you know, security researchers and those people have access to all of our architecture, all of the secrets of exactly how our products work. And then with that, what we call perfect understanding, with that perfect understanding of our architecture, then they look for ways to, to break it, to manipulate it in ways that weren't intended. And those are not the same people that designed the product because the people that designed the product or, you know, you think about it in a code sense, you know, in, in maybe an application or something, the people that design it, they are oftentimes blind to some of the, the ways to manipulate. Right. Um, so you need a different set of eyes and it is a, very much a skill set to say, well, listen, I'm not interested in the, what we call the happy case. I'm not interested in the happy case. The happy case is that the user does exactly what they were expected to do. I want to know what happens when the user doesn't do what they're expected to do. Now what happens? And does, you know, does that open up any opportunities? Um, and that's a skill set, again, that's um, you know, very valuable in this, in this context. Right. No, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, even just from a, from a writing context, you know, there's the, you know, just the sort of psychological effect of, it's it's difficult for me to edit my own work because my brain reads what I wanted to write, mm-hmm. not what I actually wrote. Um, and so I think you know it's it's a similar concept of when you're the developer, it's hard for you to even get outside of that box to imagine the other ways that someone could try to manipulate or break your code because in your head you're like, well, no, I'm it's it's intended to do this. That's right. That's right. And you know, just to use an example, even with this um, uh, CET. So the developer wrote code that did whatever it does. And, and the, the, um, the hacker finds a way to change this memory address, right? It's using a completely different class of set of, you know, attacks to, to manipulate memory addresses. And then your code, all of a sudden, instead of, you know, maybe your code, let's say simplistically, was going to spell the word, uh, stop you know s-t-o-p and instead of jumping to the s and then the t and then the o and the p um they jump to the t and so now you've got top you know even if you just started from there and continued forward a completely different word it it you know it they're not related 
Um, and obviously, it's a simplistic example, but you get the idea of how this could become very insidious and there's nothing wrong with the code that was being run. It is, you know, typically it's very, very fine code, but it's not protected against this sort of uh, this, this sort of ordering problem where codes run in ways that were never expected and in orders that were never expected. Right. Um, let's talk. So I want to get into a little bit about. Um, well, two things. Number one is sort of the the, the partnership or relationship with um, uh, Microsoft and the integration of Intel CET with Windows 10 and the availability of Intel CET from a uh, Intel hardware perspective, because this, I mean, it's, it, this is not something that's just uh, automatically available across the entire spectrum, I, I believe, uh, right? It's a, there's, there's a specific set of processors that you guys have that are going to have this technology. That's correct. Yep. And so um, did you want to cover one of those first? Um, let's cover, uh, well, let's cover the, the, you know, what, which Intel processors, um, you know, have, or will have Intel CET and, and will it, will it just be, um, will it, will CET be part of, you know, the framework going forward for, you know, for future processors in general, or will it only be, will it be limited to specific processors? Yeah. So the, uh, the first product that will have uh, Intel CET in it is a mobile processor uh, that's codenamed Tiger Lake. And um, we will have CET um, introduced in subsequent, subsequent platforms fo following, following that. So, uh, you know, we'll have desktop CPUs, mobile CPUs and, and whatnot that will follow that. But the first product that we're targeting here is, uh, is Tiger Lake. Okay, and do you have an uh, ETA for availability of that processor? Um, not yet. So we'll we're we're still working through, and you know we'll share that when we're ready in terms of the specific dates for Tiger Lake. But it is coming soon. Um, so this is uh, again something that people can can be excited uh, that that it's not too far down the road until this product becomes available. Okay. Um, all right. So then let's talk about the, the other aspect of this because, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we touched at the beginning on, you know, just how pervasive Intel is as a hardware platform. And, you know, in, you know, the, the, there's, there's a reason that there's a term Wintel and that is, you know, on, on the, on the software or on the operating side system side, Microsoft is equally pervasive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a very, you know, tight partnership, I think you you know, you guys have, and, you know, I know that, um, they are developing hardware enforced stack protection to be built into windows 10 that is based on, um, Intel CET or supports Intel CET. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, about that partnership and, and about, you know, how that, how that works in terms of, you know, the, the, the fact that you, you, you do have to have uh, you do have to have something, you know, developed or engineered from the Windows side to interact with or to work with CET. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. So, so we have. I mean, I think it's it's good to start a little bit uh, about when did we even start talking about CET, um, and and then we can we can bring that into Microsoft specifically. So Intel actually released the 
Intel CET tech specs publicly back in 2016. And even prior to that public um, uh, spec publication, um, we had been working with Microsoft as well. Now, the reason that we, we wanted to go out with these specs so early is um, we wanted to make sure that we got feedback on the spec itself. Um, and then we wanted to make sure that the broader ecosystem could adopt it. Um, and we know, you know, everything that we're doing, we do at Intel is at scale, you know, across hundreds of millions of PCs um, that we ship every single year. So we, we know that just because you put some capability in hardware, as an example, doesn't mean that the world would know how to use it. And so we started back in 2016 with the publication of the spec, inviting the, the feedback, and then also making sure that developers and whatnot could, could be working with it. And at the same time, and even prior to that, we were working with Microsoft and the OS. Um, so you are correct that, that Microsoft has uh, in their uh, Windows 10, um, these uh, shadow stack instructions. Um, and what I mean by shadow stack, so let me, let me pause for just a second there. One of the ways that CET works is, I, I mentioned about return-oriented programming. And, and the way the program works is when, it, when a particular code runs, um, it will jump to a, um, say, a function in the code. And at the time when it jumps, it will place an address called the return address on the stack. So that when you're done with running that extra bit of code and you're looking to return back to where you expected, that return address gets pulled off of uh, off the stack. What we do for CET is we create what's called a shadow stack. And this has to be enabled in the operating system. And a shadow stack can't be written to in a normal way like um, the, the, the typical stack that's running. And so when, when the return address gets pushed onto the regular stack, we go with the operating system and use the shadow stack capability to also put the return address in the second location. And so when you're going to return, we do a quick comparison. The OS does a quick comparison of, well, the regular stack address and the shadow stack and says, is it the same? And if it is the same, then it operates happily. And if it isn't the same, then it throws an error and now it's detectable. Hey, I just realized somebody manipulated the memory address. I need to do something about it and it flags it. So that's, that's what we've been working with Microsoft um, to enable the shadow stack capability of Intel CET. And they have it available in um, their product called Har Windows 10 called Hardware Enforced Stack Protection. Kind of a complicated name, but um, hopefully after hearing me explain, it kind of makes sense um, that we're protecting, protecting the stack. And it is available today in their Windows 10 Insider Preview. Okay. Um, all right. Just, you know, real quick, Alexa, I think we, you know, kind of covered CET. I wanted to you know, kind of ask you uh, on, on a more personal level, just like how, 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 have, uh, how have you been doing? How has Intel been doing during uh, kind of the uh, COVID quarantine times, you know, as we're calling them now, the COVID times? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, it's been challenging, obviously. Um, on, on one hand, the, uh, the very nature of, of businesses around the world moving to remote work whenever possible um, it has certainly been, been a, a positive trend for us, um, you know, moving people to laptops and, and getting them hooked up and, you know, communicating in that sense. Uh, th- that part has been, been uh, a positive uh, on our business. The, our, ourselves internally as an enterprise and how we are operating, it, it's, you know, Intel has always been technically sophisticated. You know, we've been, uh, part of my role is I go out and talk to CIOs from all over the world, um, you know, Fortune 1000 CIOs. And Intel is, I can tell you, you know, very sophisticated in terms of the ability to remotely work, the ability to um, to to remotely log into validation platforms, for example. You know, we have big lab setups, like a lot of companies do around the world, um, where you have these complicated labs and you've got a bunch of technicians and engineers that are all working in these labs. But what happens when you can't get the engineers and the technicians into the lab to do the work? Um, that becomes a huge problem in this COVID world. Whereas what Intel has been on the forefront of is being able to remotely log into these lab facilities with these platforms. And they're instrumented in such a way that engineers can be anywhere in the world working on that, that machine. And we did it not because of COVID. We were doing it because of time zones mm-hmm. originally, right? We had engineers that were sitting in Oregon with platforms that were sitting in Europe or in India or you know some other place around the world. And we didn't want to be limited by the location of the device. So we, we put together all of this infrastructure um, to be able to, to do that. And it really has come handy for us um, when it comes to the COVID days now, where we, we can be very, very efficient. Um, and we have very few people now on site. Um, and yet we can get most all of our work done in, you know, from home. And our engineers are still developing on current platforms or future platforms, just like they would have been if they were driving into the office in like in the old days. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm not sure exactly how pervasive it is, but I know that I've, I've heard of more than a few uh, companies who I think, I think most companies, uh, if not all companies had some remote capacity like you know just you know you've got sales guys who are on the out, out on the road you know so so they had some vpn capacity or some remote desktop capacity uh some uh you know cloud app or cloud platform capacity um but i don't think you know uh, there were there were very few companies that were uh, you know really prepared or architected for 100% remote mm-hmm. and to have to go to that overnight I think, you know, became sort of a trial by fire for the, for the idea. I think that a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of managers who are uh, traditionalists who felt like, well, if you're not sitting here at this desk in this office, then you're not working. Right. And, um, and, and would have pushed against the idea had you brought it up in January 
<laughs> but, but, but then, you know, along came COVID and everyone said, okay, well now you have to work from home. And I think a lot of companies have now been pleasantly surprised to find that not only did, did productivity not go down in a lot of cases, productivity went up. And now sure. I've heard of, of like, you know, where more than a few companies who have now already officially, or are at least looking at basically adopting this model going forward and saying, Hey, you know what? We don't need to lease all this office space. We can let this go and maybe just have like a, you know, like a, Know, temporary workspace or a hotel kind of arrangement. You know, we can give people some place where they can go when they when they need to or want to, but basically just let people work wherever they wherever they are. Yeah, no, you're right. And and we call you know uh, actually in my previous role just immediately prior to uh, um, doing security for for Intel, I was running the business client organization, and within that within that realm, we did a, a bunch of work, um, not only as Intel ourselves, but also with other companies around uh, just transformation um, and changing the way people work. And it's exactly kind of what you described in, in terms of work happening in new areas, whether it's at home or on the road. And, and you know, Part of working for Intel, there's a lot of good things for me that excite me about Intel. You know, it's some of the smartest people in the, in the entire planet work for this company. They're just incredible. And you can sit down and talk to people that in other contexts would, would have Nobel Prizes. And I don't say that that's not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not speaking in jest. I'm talking about legitimately would win Nobel Prizes if their work was made public. Um, and and so we get we get to work on some really cool stuff ourselves, but also seeing some of the best of the best on the outside of the industry as well, and where the industry is going. And um, our IT group at Intel has done an amazing job with with um, enabling some of this work, it, things that we call today work from home, but it's really about having the infrastructure to be able to be as productive wherever you're wherever you're at and it's about having you know machines that aren't completely locked down to where you can't do real work in the you know in the real world some some IT shops have had the lock down the PC so you can't do absolutely anything except for very very few fixed function kind of devices well that doesn't work in this world anymore and so right. changing those mindsets is how when we go out and we work with companies, um, we share best practices, and we, you know, we we never imagined that it was going to be because of a virus that that this was going to happen. We we always thought that hey, if you really want to unlock people's real potential, you give them as much flexibility as you can, and enable work from anywhere in the world. And that's where we were starting from. But again, you know, the virus sort of accelerated everything, and. And you are correct that it changed people's mindsets that they would have never probably voluntarily gone down this path or if they had, it would have taken years and years. And now we got to, we got to show them a case in point over the last four or five months that it really can work. And if you think ahead, you can do some amazing things with your employees. And I am, I am a believer that the way we work is fundamentally changing forever. You know, we're not going to go back exactly the same way like we were before. No, I agree with that. I think uh, I think it 
you know, you, the, the, you know, from the from the beginning of this of the, the the COVID times, there's been all this talk about well, when can we return to quote unquote normal, and uh, uh, or or calling things the new normal or whatever. And I think the new normal is more accurate because you know, yeah, I think that a lot of companies are not going to go. You're not going to go back, and even and even the ones who do go back, I mean, it's going to be different in terms of, you know, how do you, you know space the desks and how often, you know, and washing your hands and, you know, just all, you know, just the, the way we just kind of interact with the world. I mean, I've, I've now gotten into the habit of, you know, wiping down, uh, you know, like the, the groceries when I get them. And, and I, I told my wife the other day that, you know, like, well, when, when all this is, you know, quote unquote done, uh, and there's technically or theoretically no need for me to do that. I'm like, I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, well, it just makes sense because even before COVID, there was still the cold and the flu and everything else. I'm like, well, you know, who knows how many people have touched those groceries? Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, you go to a restaurant, you know, and, and you, they, the waitress comes back and hands you your credit card and a pen that's been touched by, you know, however many hundreds of people before that. And, and it, it, five months ago, you wouldn't have thought twice you'd grab that pen. And, you know, now I don't know about you, but. I look at just about anything. They, they ask me to push a button on the little eight, uh, the, the point of sale thing at the, you know, it just gets you thinking. And I think that things are going to change. And I, I agree with, you know, that for sure. And, and I, you know, just within this industry alone, um, you know, I've been with this company, I've been with Intel for 26 years now. And I, I remember the transition back in the day when, when most people had PC, or with, uh, with that had PCs had desktops, mm-hmm. and um, and you know there were these things called notebooks or laptops that were coming, but they were relatively expensive. They were more expensive than desktops, and you know, and for that reason, IT shops, including Intel, by the way, at the time, said, "Well, hey, only the road warriors need to have laptops. Everybody else needs desktops," and. And what came to be was that um, you had certain IT shops, and Intel, by the way, was one of them, our own internal shop, did a financial analysis and said, hey, you know what? If I give people laptops, my worker productivity actually goes up because they can't, they, in the old days, you could only work when you were actually in the office because the desktop was there. And so, but if I gave them a laptop, now they could also work from home. Or if they took the train, they could work on the train or something like that. And when you factor that in, you realize, hey, I'm not paying the person anymore, but they're working more. So right. it actually, you know, it, it penciled out. And so you had companies that sort of transitioned that way. Now, I think that we're at that same kind of a transition within the industry today of how it is work perceived. And, and there are a lot of companies today that even even though they had laptops that were you know issued to their employees that most or if not all the work mostly happened within the walls of the company and with covid i think now they're realizing wait a second i can untap other time in a person's life that if i can give them the right tools and the right capabilities they can be productive for me you know even more than they were before and I think that's that's the transition that we're in right now. Right. Nope. Absolutely agree. Um, all right. Well, I think we will uh, kind of wind things down there, but uh, we are in some interesting times for sure. Um, I, it will be it will be interesting to see, 
you know, going into 2021, what happens with, you know, all of, all of the conferences we've all come to know and love, like what happens with CES, what happens with RSA, what happens with Black Hat, um, you know, going forward after this year. So that, that, that'll be an interesting thing as well. But, um, or even customer, you know, customer calls. And, and do you, in the past, you jumped on an airplane and flew around for 14 hours to get to the other side of the world and dealt with jet lag and whatever else. And now do you do that in the future? That's just a, you know, it's an interesting other aspect. All, all valid questions to ask. So, um, but no, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join me. I think, uh, you know, like I said, I think, uh, Intel CET is, uh, uh, interesting and necessary, uh, concept and, uh, you know, look forward to, uh, speaking with you again in the future. Thanks for having me. It was, this was a lot of fun. All right. Take care. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.